this is Mike Jones, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Catching up with all your favorite current and former Royals players. That's the name of the game right here on Clubhouse Conversation. It's Davo, and I'm glad you are along for this edition as we are joined by Mike Jones from the 1985 World Champion Royals. Mike Jones, 6'6 lefty. Out of small-town, rural Rochester, New York is where the Royals took him in the first round of the MLB draft back in 1977. And what a journey Mike Jones had. We'll talk about all of it here on Clubhouse Conversation. He began coming up through the system and moving at a pretty swift pace, making it to KC right before his 21st birthday. And then tragedy hit. A couple years after his debut in the major leagues. It was late December of 1981. Mike had pitched both 1980 and 1981 at the big league level and then got in a very, very serious car accident in the offseason. And we'll talk to him about that, about what that meant to him as far as perspective on life and and coming back, what that meant to him and what he learned from it. We'll talk frankly about all of that. We'll talk about the entire journey On top of that, from him, like I said, coming up as a high school kid in New York through the minor leagues up to KC, being in that dogpile, 1985 world champions. That and so much more. Mike Jones from his home in Jacksonville, Florida, a place I used to live, so a place very near and dear to my heart, talking Royals baseball, who are also very near and dear to my heart. Mike, thanks for joining us, first of all. Second of all, how's everything going with you? Outstanding. Outstanding. Uh, uh, You know, uh, at this point in time, I'm – High school baseball coach, been uh, at a private school in Jacksonville for almost 15 years now. Uh, coach a little football also, but um, my top priority, of course, is our baseball program. And um, you know, been in been in Jacksonville since '92, and uh, you know, really enjoy the the amateur athletic side of uh, of things. And uh, um, you know, I'm in a really good place. Yeah, there's been some great players out of Jacksonville. Do you remember uh, a recent former Royal, Billy Butler, playing there at Wolfson at all? Yes, Billy Butler actually uh, played for me uh, briefly at Trinity Christian Academy, which was uh, the school I was at prior to Episcopal, and he also played for numerous years uh, with me on my uh, my summer travel team, which was actually called the Jacksonville Royals. So uh, him, a uh, young man named Eric Hurley, mm-hmm. uh, who both were drafted out of uh, Wilson, number one draft picks the same year, were teammates, and um, also had a young man named Daniel Murphy play for me. Uh-huh. Uh, from Jacksonville, went to Englewood uh, High School, uh, graduated, went to Jacksonville University. Uh, he played some summer ball with me, so I've uh, been very blessed to, to have that caliber of player, uh, you know, uh, to be around them and, and have a chance to coach him. Very baseball-rich area, that's for sure. Yeah, yes it is. Yes it is. Uh, we, we've seen some very good players come out of here uh, over the past years and, uh, you know, uh, in the future also. 
Yeah. So now speaking of Murphy and Butler and, you know, getting back to the Royals and the Mets and all that good stuff. So, I mean, last year you saw the Royals obviously lose a heartbreaker, game seven against the Giants. But this year the Royals get it done. They repeat for the first time since your teams back in the day in 85 as World Series champions. So, I mean, how exciting was it for you to see the Royals back on top of the world again? You know, it's been it's been a long, hard road for them uh, since '85, and uh, uh, you know they've gone through uh, numerous phases, numerous managers, player changes, you know, philosophy changes. Uh, but to, to see them, you know, create such a great atmosphere, and and uh, the city of Kansas City really deserves that. And you know, my hats off to them. A very exciting time for them. Um, was uh, rooting for them every step of the way, and 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 just you know was was great baseball you can wear your royals gear a bit more proudly these days around jacksonville right no question about it well it, regardless of where they were i always wore my royals gear I, you know i named my teams after them uh, i'm a royal uh from day one and, and it will always be a royal in my heart so uh regardless of the record you know I'm, I'm a big fan love it well let's go way back we'll work our way back towards the royals days but let's talk about sutherland high school pittsford <laughs> new york so i mean were you there your entire childhood and how big of a you know how big was baseball in your growth as a, as a kid well you know it, it, times have changed dramatically of course and, and and back when when i was growing up and in high school you know you went from one sport to the other um there wasn't a whole lot of specialization uh, for, for a specific sport. So, you know, I played football, basketball, and baseball uh, my entire life uh, from childhood all the way through high school. So, um, and really in the northeastern part of the United States and upstate New York, baseball is not the top dog. Uh, you know, you've got a huge hockey town. Uh, you've got a triple-A hockey team there in the Rochester Amherst. Um, lacrosse is big. Uh, football is big. Baseball just kind of fell in because – you know, uh, uh, weather prohibiting, you know, you don't have a long baseball season like you do in the South. So, um, love baseball, uh, was my best sport, but really my passion was, was football. Huh. Well, baseball-wise, while at Sutherland, so I love these numbers. So 14.7 hitters per seven innings you struck out. So you're striking out over two innings as a senior there. You had uh, a 104 ERA. You had a no-hitter that year. Three one-hitters and helped your team to state. So, I mean, how much fun are those memories when you look back? You know, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, it was, you know, light years ago, but uh, you still remember, you know, uh, great times in your life, and, and I really enjoyed it, playing with the guys, you know, and it was such a different feeling to be able to just go out there and play for your high school team, and, and you weren't worried about, you know, college at the time, or professional sports, or getting paid, I mean, it was just, the game was really pure, and, um, you know, it was just a pleasure to be out there with your buddies, getting after it. So the Royals eventually take you then. First round, 1977, obviously. It's Al Diaz, Tom Ferrick were the mm -hmm. two scouts who signed you. I mean, do you have any memories of the first time they saw you pitch or that you kind of spoke with them? Did you kind of know the Royals might be the team before the draft and get to know those guys pretty well? Um, you know, I had no idea. Um, this was pre-draft, you know, draft, uh, uh, you know, where the draft was televised and was on the Internet. Of course, none of that stuff was available at the time. So, you know, you had to sit by the phone and – and cross your fingers and hope. Uh, uh, so, you know, I had, I had a conversation with Al Diaz. Uh, there was numerous scouts that would come to my games. There was probably more scouts that would come than fans. Um, you know, Sutherland being a very rural, um, you know, small town on the outskirts of Rochester, uh, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of exposure. I think the last guy that was drafted out of Rochester was a guy named Johnny Antonelli, um, which was, you know, way back in the – 
shoot, I want to say the 50s or the 60s. But um, I knew I was probably going to get drafted just by the interest. Uh, didn't know where I was going to go. Um, didn't really know which team I was going to go to, but uh, knew that I wanted to play professional baseball out of high school. So, you know, had my fingers crossed and sat by the phone and uh, waited for somebody to call me. It really didn't matter who it was going to be, but, you know, Thank goodness it was the Royals, and, uh, you know, the rest is history after that. Did you know anything about the Royals? I mean, did you know the name George Brett or, you know, any of those guys, that Amos Otis, some of those guys that were out there at that time? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, as a baseball fan and following baseball, you know, knew about the Royals, but, you know, I was a big Mets fan. You know, my guy that, you know, I had two guys that I really, really tried to emulate myself after. First and foremost, Steve Carlton. You know, I felt like, he was what I wanted to be uh, at some point in time if I could ever reach that, that level. And uh, another guy was uh, Tom Seaver. So uh, huge Willie Mays fan. Um, love Willie Mays. Um, you know, love the Mets and, and, and uh, you know, Steve Carlton. So those were my, my, uh, my guys back in the day. Well, you signed with the Royals then. So you're 17 years old. You pitched nine games that first summer between Sarasota and Daytona Beach. So at Sarasota, you tied for the league lead complete games. You had eight and a half Ks per nine innings. What do you remember most about that first summer in Pro Bowl? Uh, everybody there was, was pretty daggum good. You know, uh, uh, everybody there was either their you know, middle of the lineup hitter or their number one pitcher at their respective high schools or colleges. So, you know, you don't quite stand out as much as you did in high school. And, and I remember my first pitching coach was Bill Fisher. And I threw maybe three, three pitches uh, in the bullpen when I got there, and he stopped me and started to change everything about me. So it was probably two to three weeks before I actually really, really got mechanically where he wanted me to be. And, and because I, uh, I had a tendency to be a little wild, uh, as typically as left-handers were, and um, you know, could throw hard, sometimes didn't have a really good idea where it was going, so first and foremost had to get a mechanical move to the plate that was repeatable and you know, was, uh, was effective. Yeah, that's a good question to follow up with. So while we're talking about you know, mechanically and what you threw, so give our listeners a, kind of a refresher then. So where did you eventually sit and top out at, and what pitches did you throw once you eventually made the big league level? You know, I, back in the day, uh, you know, in the in the late '70s, uh, signed in '77, of course. Um, you know, I, I want to say, you know, I, I could throw the ball 90 plus miles an hour, but but I really sat probably, you know, 89, 90, 91 from the left side. Um, slider was, you know, had a roundhouse curve. Really didn't have much of a breaking ball in high school. Just a loopy curve ball. It was just basically be able to throw the ball by guys. Uh, had no idea what a changeup was, um, so I would, I guess, be considered a power pitcher. Uh, learned the slider quickly, and and that became one of my better pitches. Um, changeup was probably my third pitch, and you know, tinkered with the breaking ball, uh, the curve ball, but it was really tough to have two quality types of breaking balls. Um, you know, they almost seemed like they melded into each other, and my slider became a slurve, and my curveball became a slurve. So, you know, fastball, slider. Um, change up and like I said I tinkered with the breaking ball but uh, that's basically what I threw change up being my third pitch but uh, you know fastball slider were my two best pitches okay so I'm excited to ask you about the next summer then so 1978 you're at Fort Myers there in high a 13 and nine uh, you completed 90 or 25 starts with four shutouts so I wanted to ask you you played for Gene Lamont there so how'd you like pitching for a younger Gene Lamont and what do you remember about that summer in Fort Myers 
I did. You know, I, I really loved playing for Gene. Um, you know, players manager, um, just just really in tune with the game, really in tune with the players. As a player himself and as a catcher, a guy who, who ended up probably, I think he ended up catching Fidrich uh, with the Tigers at, at one point in time. But Gene was very very knowledgeable of, of, you know, approach and how to set hitters up and what to look for and, and you know, counts and, and things that, you know, a 17-, 18-year-old kid really didn't have uh, a good grasp on. So, you know, his mentorship there was extremely important. Um, and I'll tell you, remembering more than anything, you know, we played in Fort Myers, which was then Kansas City Spring Training Site, uh, and it was half turf, half grass at the time. So I can just remember how hot it was on that turf in the summer, um, you know, playing in, 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 I guess, I believe it was the Florida State League at the time. So, uh, you know, great memories, a lot of fun. Uh, Gene was a great mentor, um, you know, learned a lot from him and, and started to understand the game a little bit more and, and, and how to be effective and and um, learn to, to have a better approach when I was on the mound. How, uh, how did that uh, Fort Myers complex kind of compare to some of the other big league spring trainings around there back, back in the day? At the time, they were all similar. You know, they really were. Uh, predominantly, most of the spring training sites were in Florida. Um, so everybody had multiple fields. You had your main field, and then you had your, your practice facilities around, um, you know, your main locker room. Uh, Fort Myers not being a huge town, uh, tough access to get to that uh, with a lot of rain. You know, there was a couple uh, a couple ways in, and I can remember, you know, going through, you know, shin-high water in my vehicle, you know, up above the tires to get to the ballpark. But very well-maintained. Um you know, atypical, most all of the stadiums. You know, some of the stadiums uh, had uh, had their four-field complexes, you know, their cloverleaf complexes uh, around. I can remember minor league camp being in Sarasota uh, at Clark Road was where they were originally. That's where our minor league camp was, and that's where we had our five-field facility. And they had the, actually, they had the old uh, academy there, which I think ended with UL, Washington, Willie Wilson era, where those guys actually went to school there, the Royals had experimented a little bit with that at the time, and uh, that ended up being the main facility for the minor league. So with Terry Park, I'm pretty sure there was just you had the main field and then the practice field on the backside. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And and so then the next year, that so 79 and then most of 80 as well, you were at Double A Jacksonville, which you yeah. know obviously is home now. So right. you uh, consistently led that team in complete games, shutouts, innings, strikeouts. I mean, so did you? You know, fast forward to later on, was that from pitching there? Is that kind of how you got introduced to Jayville and why you ended up there? Yeah, more actually, that's where I met my wife. Also, um, you know, she she's a Jacksonville native, and uh, we met my my. Actually, we had met previously. Uh, I, I believe I was an instructional ball from Fort Myers to my first year in Jacksonville, and we had happened to meet uh, then. And she was a big fan of of baseball, and and uh, we met uh, in Jacksonville, and ultimately, you know. 36 years later, you know, we're, of course, we're still together and, uh, um, you know, we make this our home. So, you know, um, Jacksonville is just, it was just, it just kind of caught my heart. Really, really enjoy the, the, the climate here. Uh, the, the people are great. Um, you know, like we had talked previously, there's, there, there's so many venues here. Um, you know, it just has everything that, that you really want, offers you everything you really need. Yeah, I lived there from 06 to 08. So when I think, you know, when I was there, I always liked to, it was kind of fun for me as a diehard Royals fan to think back to the Royals who were once there. And at that time, it was the Dodgers when I was out there. But, right, you know, right. Kersh- Kershaw was there and all those guys. But, you know, some great, some great uh, organizations. 
nominations come through Jacksonville. Yeah. Great players that have come through Jacksonville, you know, some Hall of Famers. So Nolan Ryan, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, no question about it. Uh, you know, I was fortunate. I played in the old stadium, though. Yeah. Um, now they have a new stadium. Um, the older stadium was a little bit different than the new one. The new one's top of the line now, as, as most of the the, uh, the minor league stadiums are getting. So, uh, uh, But, you know, we were our own ground screw. Um, so when it got ready to rain, players got out, and we had this, you know, whatever size uh, piece of plastic, and we threw it over the field. So, you know, you kind of, you kind of, <laughs> you kind of see the change in, 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 you know, the the, the quality of the stadiums and the and the, you know, the the people that maintain them. What were the crowds like back in the day when you guys were there? Still, pretty much the same as today. Yeah, it doesn't change. You know, I'll tell you what, the one thing that they've done really, Jacksonville's done a great job of, of marketing. Uh, the, the franchise here, uh, and, and they do draw well. Um, you know, they, they have a quality team here every year. Uh, facilities are second to none. So, you know, that's definitely improved. And, and, you know, like I said, the marketing marketing of it, and, you know, we didn't have a pro football team back then. So there wasn't a whole lot of uh, competition. You know, now, now, of course, with the Jaguars, um, you know, of course, the season's being different. Um, uh, it, they don't overlap, but... Um, you know they've just done a tremendous job. Uh, the the Bragan family, who just finally you know had had sold the and, and retired to to a different uh, uh, enterprise, did a phenomenal job. Do they still have the baseballs? Never been better with the Jacksonville Suns theme song. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, now that that may all change with new ownership. I, I don't know, but um, you know their 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 goal is to increase attendance and uh, make yeah. it more uh, fan fan friendly, family friendly. Uh, more price price effective and conducive to to the average family to to get to get people in the seats. Yeah, they do a good job of it. So by the end of 1980, then, so you get the call you've always dreamed of a chance to pitch in the big leagues for the first time. Take us back to the moment you first got called up to the big leagues. Who gave you the news? Where were you at? What was that like? Well, I was I was in Jacksonville, and and you know there had been rumor that they were going to call me up. Um, and they had sent people down to see me pitch, and, and uh, you know the head of scouting director had come down, and, and you know all their all, all the guys that make the decisions had come back and forth, and you know it was kind of a roller coaster of a of a ride for me because initially I was going to get called up prior to the uh, expansion of the rosters and be eligible for the playoffs. Uh, then within a couple days, uh, I wasn't going to get called up at all. And so there's the there's the low of the scenario. Um, the high, of course, being going to the big leagues and, and getting the chance possibly to pitch in postseason play if I was uh, able to do so. And then the third scenario arose, which was we're going to call you up, and but we're going to call you up uh, when we expand the rosters. And that's ultimately what happened. Um, greatest feeling, you know, that's why you play the game, uh, to play at the highest level. And uh, I was not eligible for the playoffs, but really wasn't ready to pitch in the playoffs and help that team at that time. So what was the atmosphere like? You first walk into a big league clubhouse. You know, you guys obviously are in the midst of a pennant race at that point, ultimately would make the World Series that year. But and who are some of the guys that really took you under their wings when you first walked in, too? Well, you know, you you, 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 you have guys like George Brett, who's there, Willie Wilson, uh, Amos Otis, uh, Hal McRae, a lot, a, lot, a lot of the veterans, you know, that, that – you know, understand what it's like to be a rookie and, and walk into a locker room that's uh, in, in a pennant race and in the heated uh, heat of the battle, and they understand that you know you're going to be you're going to be awestruck and you're going to be lost and, and and you're going to be a little bit intimidated, you know, just by some of the names that you watched growing up on TV. Now you're standing next to them, so 
you know, it's, it's definitely a, a culture shock. You walk into a gorgeous locker room after being in the minor leagues and, you know, you're hitting white baseballs and, you know, uniforms laid out in your locker for you and there's your name on the back of a jersey and, uh, you know, you're able to get gloves and shoes and, you know, all, all that good stuff, uh, apparel that goes with it. So it, it's quite uh, uh it's quite a different thought process when you get there. You know, you, you really have to think that you belong and you have to under, you know, you have to have a lot of self-confidence that, hey, I can play with these guys. At that point in time, being as young as I was, uh, I believe I was 20 years old, uh, you know, almost 21, um, I just, I just, I was there for the ride, you know, and I just took it all in and, and tried to stay out of everybody's way um, and, uh, you know, learn as much as I could. Well, your big league debut, I love to ask uh, pitchers this. I think I've asked about 50 pitchers, and all but two knew the answer. So let's see if you do. So your big league debut, it's against Cleveland, September 6th of 80. Uh, Three shutout innings to finish up that game. And I want to ask you if you can remember, I've got the answer. Who was your first big league strikeout that day? Rick Manning. Got it. Keeping the streak alive, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Rick Manning. And I can remember facing a guy named Mike Hargrove, and it was just so frustrating. I like to work fast. And Mike was, uh, you know, they they called him the human rain delay in between pitches. He'd, uh, <laughs> he'd get in there and he, you know, the gloves and the, you know, just just, you know, get everything right. And then, you know, it seemed like an eternity between pitches. You know, and I'm up on the mound ready to go. I'm amped up. I'm, I'm juiced up, ready to go. And and here he is, just taking his time, getting in the box. And uh, you know, that, that's one of uh, my, my first memories. Was boy, I'll tell you what, guys are gonna guys are gonna take their time. Yeah, I was talking to a guy. I think it was Ken Phelps the other day. Might have been a ransom. Yeah. yeah, it was no, Dick. No, Ken. Play with Ken. Yeah, he uh, he was telling me. So I, I believe he was on that team and didn't make the postseason roster either. Right. I, th- I think he said he like just watched it from wherever he was, his hometown or whatever. So uh, where yeah. did you, where did you watch the eighty playoffs and World Series? Were you just back home? Yeah, I went back home. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. And then uh, so nineteen eighty one. Huge year for you. So Omaha, you start there first half, eleven and seven with a two nine six. I wanted to ask you about one day in particular. I know I'm throwing out random dates here, but April twenty seventh of eighty one, you threw a no hitter against Iowa. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do. Uh, I'll tell you, I had a lot of help that day. Uh, they hit some, they hit some, uh, uh, they scored some balls up pretty good that day, and we had some great defense. I think my center fielder, a guy named. Uh, Bobby Dethrich uh, made a great catch in center field, sliding catch. Uh, third baseman made a couple of great plays. So, you know, I had good stuff, no question about it. Um, had pretty good command. Uh, but, you know, you got it. You got to have some plays made behind you, you know, to 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 be able to go out there and and and, and throw a no hitter. You know, you very rarely do you see a no hitter at, at any level where the pitcher just goes out and just makes makes everybody. Uh, uh, you know, look bad and, and weak ground balls, strikeouts, weak pop flies, easy plays. There's always there's always two or three plays in the course of a no hitter that that are made to save a no hitter. And while we're on the subject to Omaha too, you know, your favorite memory is of pitching at Rosenblatt Stadium and just Omaha in general. You know, I'll tell you, uh, Omaha is 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 you know it being right down the road from Kansas City. Um, you know, the management in Omaha was was so so family orientated. Uh, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, you know, I, I felt a very comfortable atmosphere. Um, the only bad thing about it was the road trip you had to go on when they had the College World Series. Right. You know, and you come back and, you know, you're watching the College Series, World Series on TV, and you see, man, the field looks great, but you get back there and you go, oh, my goodness, you know, all the games that they play in that short period of time, plus you're on the road for, for three weeks. Uh, you know, that was the only, really the only uh, uh, undesirable 
portion of Omaha for me. Um, loved pitching there. Really did. Uh, felt like it was a pitcher's ballpark. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just, just loved the city of Omaha. And, and like I said, the, uh, the management there was just phenomenal to work, to work with. Well, you got the call back uh, for the second half of 81. You mm-hmm. qu- you quickly became the number three starter uh, for the Royals. Fourth and rookie of the year, Balding. You were there. You were a rookie pitcher of the year for the Royals, six and three with a 3-2-1. A question I've always wondered is all the success you were able to achieve, you know, especially that year. So you pitched 75 and two-thirds innings, but strike out only 29 guys. Would, 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 you know, that would be unheard of today. How were you able to have so much success, you know, when you weren't constantly missing bats like that? Well, you know, you look at when I got called to the big league set here. If you if you look at at the defense, the defensive alignment behind me, you know you've got uh, arguably one of the best outfields in baseball. Um, you have just just phenomenal speed. Um, so anything that was hit in the air in Royal Stadium um, that didn't go out of the ballpark pretty much was caught, uh, which was a great feeling. You know, you've got you've got George at third. You've got a, a, a ten-time Gold Glover at second. Uh, you've got um, you know John Wasson and 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 uh, Daryl Porter behind the plate. Um, you know, a very potent offense. Uh, the, the field was turf, um, so it, we utilized our speed. Um, so you know, I, I was very blessed to, to have a, a great defense behind me. And, and you know, I wasn't really a ground ball guy. I, I was more of a, a when I got to the big leagues, a, a fly ball guy, uh, which you know, a lot of times is not very good uh, because fly balls turn into home runs. But um, you know, I was able to miss miss enough barrels to to keep it in the ballpark for the most part. But um, you know, just and a lot of times, you know, your first year. These players have never seen me pitch before, and I've never seen them hit before, so there really wasn't a book on me. Um, so, you know, the more comfortable they get second time around, uh, uh, you see a team, uh, they have a better idea of what a pitcher's going to throw, you know, at least the guys that are students of the game. And, and everybody kept a book at the time. So, you know, I was just very fortunate to uh, hit a lot of atom balls and, uh, you know, had some great defense. Well, one of the best memories from 81, even though it was a series loss, uh, was the playoffs. And, and you pitched against Oakland, pitched real well in game two of the ALDS. You threw eight innings, allowed just two runs. You know, what do you remember most about that game and then that series with Oakland? You know, I mean, it was, the, it was kind of the miniseries because, you know, it was the strike year. Uh, and, you know, I can remember Oakland just having a really strong team. And, and, and it was, you know, it was a tough series. Uh, you know, I think I lost to, I think it was Steve McCaddy. Uh, was the guy that, that beat me. And, uh, you know, we had our opportunities in that game, and, and you know, they got a blue pit to right field, which, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, with the turf at home that uh, turned into a double and hard hit ball down the third baseline that, uh, you know, I left over the plate, you know. So it was a matter of it was it was a game of inches, you know. That's that's when I realized, look, you, you got you got to get after it. You, you got to be mentally tough, you know, every pitch. You know, you can't take a breath. There's nobody in that lineup you can breeze through. Um, it's postseason now. Everybody is, you know, uh, at their best. And so, you know, it's pitch by pitch, and, you know, mistakes are magnified. And, you know, I, I happen to make a couple, and, and it cost me. Yeah, well, now you're obviously getting set to pitch in the rotation in 82, uh, mm-hmm. but then the tragedy happened, so I don't want to bring up bad memories, but December 21st of 81, uh, you break your neck then in a car accident. So, I mean, what, take us back to that day, what you remember or what you're comfortable talking about. What happened that day, and how scary was that to go through? Uh, I mean, no, I'm comfortable talking. You know, I've, I've, I've made peace with it. I've come to terms with it. You know, uh, I truly believe that, you know, God had a plan for me at that point in time, and, and you know, it – 
it wasn't uh, it wasn't going to be that I was going to die, but it was going to be it was more like a reality check for me. Um, you know, I was in upstate New York. Uh, we had just gotten back from Japan, um, so it had been a pretty long year for me. And uh, you know, I'd been in Omaha and then with the Royals, and then you know, we went and toured Japan that year and just got back. Bought a brand new vehicle, uh, drove it back to uh, New York with my wife, and uh, we had just been married that uh, in in February of that year. And so we, we, we were kind of going back and forth about where we were going to spend Christmas. So, you know, she wanted to go to Florida. I wanted to stay in New York. We were in New York. Um, I said, look, I'll fly you down to Florida. You spend Christmas with your family this year. I'll spend it with mine, and then, and then we'll hook up right afterwards, and we'll go on vacation, or, or we'll spend New Year's together, or we'll go someplace together regardless. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, I believe it was, what, December 21st, I think yep. it was? Yep. Um you know, I was I was out with a bunch of my buddies. Uh, we had uh, we had been out, uh, you know, at, at the a bar restaurant earlier that evening, and uh, had, had 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 some alcohol, and and you know, it was one of those uh, one of those uh, nights where you know the weather had had been warm during the day, so it was like a slushy rain, and and, and it turned cold later the night, and then we were all gonna. Uh, meet up at uh, like a Perkins pancake house afterwards and we were we sat there for you know probably a good two or three hours just talking and reminiscing drinking coffee eating food um left there we were gonna uh hook up with a, a bunch of our uh, uh, other friends and you know upstate New York versus South Florida snowmobiles versus jet skis and we were gonna go uh, snowmobile in the next morning my buddy had a, had a cabin on one of the uh, uh rural lakes there and uh Left Perkins, heading down the road, was in Bushnell's Basin. Um, the rain had uh, turned to ice, and it's what they call a black ice. Was running around 35 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour. Had a Datsun 280ZX, which was, uh, you know, not one of the heaviest cars. Spin off the road uh, into a bunch of trees. Tore my engine off at the firewall. Um, you know, uh, was fortunate that the, the, the kid that was with me uh, was able to walk away from the accident. I went and got help, but, uh, you know, I couldn't move. I was uh, pretty much could barely whisper and was sitting in the driver's side, of course, um, you know, scared to death, of course. You get uh, all of a sudden you'll, you'll see a, a flashback of a movie of your entire life in front of you in, in a matter of 30 seconds and, uh, you know, couldn't move my arms or my legs, so it was pretty frightening. Um, paramedics came, uh, got me on the striker frame, took me to the hospital, uh, was immediately put in traction was able to pop one of the vertebrae because I had dislocated or fractured C3, C4, or C4, C5. Uh, I think it's C3, C4. Uh, they were able to pop one of the vertebrae back in um, with traction, but the other, the other vertebrae had caused a small fracture, so they had to go in and uh, have surgery and uh, fused uh, the two cervical vertebrae together, um, took a piece of bone out of my hip, and uh, basically... Uh, uh, used it, uh, you know, back in the day, you know, that, that, that time they weren't really concerned about whether or not you were going to throw 90 miles an hour again. It was more of, you know, your, your quality of life, are you going to be able to use your arms and legs and, and, and live a normal life? So, and at that point in time, you know, that's really what all I was worried about. So, you know, long rehab, uh, halo brace, uh, body cast, uh, you know, I was charged with a driving while impaired, um, wasn't going to be able to drive anyways in a, in a, in a body cast, but, uh, you know, that's what they charged me with. My alcohol level was on the border. Um, 
again, you know, self-inflicted bad decision on my part, bad bad luck, a little bit of everything above. Um, but uh, you know, there was there was a purpose for that to happen, and uh, you know, I, I I honestly say that uh, it it may have been one of the best things that's happened to me. You know, it altered my career forever. Yes. But, uh, you know, it put me in a position to, to be where I'm at today. And, uh, you know, so, so it's definitely a blessing in disguise. So that rehab in 82 had to have been hell, had to have been tough, a lot of dark days, I'm assuming. You know, how tough was the rehab? And did you, at what point did you honestly think you'd make it back? I mean, did, for a while there, did you think you were done? Uh, it, was, it wasn't 82. You know, it, it, trust me, it wasn't 82. Um, you know, the rehab in upstate New York uh, was very tedious. Uh, you know, I had lost, uh, I had regained, um, uh, you know, the use of the use of my arms and legs, all except my right arm while I was in the hospital, you know, that night or the next day and swelling had caused some blockage from the surgery. So my right, my right arm was not completely paralyzed, but I had very little strength in it. Had to, had to help raise my right arm up over my shoulder, had to sleep in a hospital bed for, for three months because of the, the body cast and the halo brace. But, uh, you know, started physical therapy right away. I uh, got the brace off. I uh, had a physical therapist that I worked with, you know, three, four times a week would come to the house and work on my strengths. Um, you know, and one morning I, I got up and, you know, went to raise my arms up and, you know, went to grab my, my right arm with my left arm, didn't have to do it, and raised it up in the air. Um you know, and, and, and the feeling had come back into, in, into my right side. Now, the, the funny part was when they took the cast off, I was like, you know, and they, they cut a hole in the cast around your stomach. So, you, you know, when you eat and stuff like that, you can, you, can, you know, expand and uh, uh, get a little bit bigger so you're not so cramped. Um, they, took the, they took the cast off and um, they took the brace off. And I looked at myself and I went, you know, man, I don't look too bad. And, and then about five seconds later, my body just sank and settled, and there was just no muscular structure whatsoever to my upper body. Not that there was a, a large amount prior to that, but um, <laughs> it was uh, uh, quite a uh, quite a, uh, <laughs> a awakening for me. So it took it took quite a bit of time to get to get the muscles back. Um, you know, I went to I went to instructional ball that year in eight two, and I don't think I, I I think I was like seventy eight seventy nine miles an hour. And um, that was the first year that Saberhagen had signed, and, and you know I'd met Brett down there, uh, and he was a young kid from uh, California who just you know was full of energy. And here I am, this you know I felt like an old man, um, you know struggled to, to to just do the normal things that a pitcher would have to do in the course of a practice, and uh, very, very frustrating, very very frustrating because at that point in time it was like man I, I'm a long way off. Yeah, well, I'm assuming, you know, most guys who have pitched in the big leagues then are going to hate going back to, you know, high A, Fort Myers, but you did an 83, and I'm guessing, you know, you know, 18 games that year, I'm guessing for you, it's just so nice to be in the field, and you're actually happy to be back out there. Is that pretty accurate? Oh, no question about it. I mean, just, just being able to have full use of my limbs, and, you know, I could have been picking out wheelchairs instead of baseball gloves. Yeah, And, yeah. Uh, you know, so, so I was very fortunate. Uh, my, my outlook was uh, – uh, was much different than it was prior to. I probably worked harder from then. If I would have worked that hard um, from 77 till the accident, um, I thought I would have been a much better pitcher. Kind of took some things for granted. Um, you know, a lot of life lessons were involved uh, with playing professional sports for me, especially being a high draft pick and, and, and knowing, you know, didn't, didn't really 
take care of my body the way I needed to take care of it, didn't, didn't do the things that I needed to do day in and day out to be, to be a major league or a professional athlete. And, um, you know, started to do those things after the accident because I was just driven because everybody said there's no way you're going to make it back, no way you can get back, no way this guy's going to come back. You know, my hometown paper um, was, was just, you know, very negative about, uh, about my odds. And, of course, the odds were not great, you know. Uh, all the doctor could, uh, all Dr. Hakey could tell me was that I would be given the opportunity to try to make a comeback, and that's about as far as he could go. Uh, so the rest was up to me. So I was, I was determined. I really was to, to give it the best shot that I possibly could, and hopefully the Royals would stay with me, you know, long enough for me to get that opportunity. And you did. Eighty-four. You start with Omaha, then you get called back up. Had to have been probably just as special, if not more special, than the first time I'm betting. And then, you know, one of the more memorable games that year. I'm assuming you probably remember uh, Cleveland, July 16th. You and Quiz. You threw eight one-hit innings. He finished it off. Do you remember that one? No question about it. Uh, guy named Brett Butler. Got the leadoff hit on a ground ball up the middle, uh, first hitter of the game, and it's a ball that I should have I should have uh, got a hold of. Uh, just fell off the mound wrong, and and uh, you know wasn't really square. wasn't a guy that was really square when I came off the mound. Kind of flew to the right side a little bit, as some guys do, and uh, ball almost split the rubber, and and uh, you know that was the only hit of the game. Um, was a different pitcher then, you know, didn't didn't have. The velocity that I had previous to uh, you know my accident, and and probably was never going to regain that. Uh, so really had to focus on location, movement, change speeds. That's when I developed the breaking ball, along with the slider. Uh, so really wasn't as much of a power pitcher as I was considered prior to. Yeah, and you get in the playoffs that year too. Uh, you know, game one of the ALCS. Obviously, another tough series for you guys. Nobody could beat Detroit that year. But what do you oh, remember no. about that? Yeah, how tough was that team? Uh, they were phenomenal. I mean, you go down their lineup with the All Stars they had in that lineup, and that's as good a team as as, as they've had in, you know, uh, you know, twenty or thirty years. I mean, just phenomenal team. Uh, you know, no break in their in their lineup uh, as far as for a pitcher's concerned. Defensively, played well together. Um, you know, seasoned veterans knew how to win. Uh, just just dominated that entire series from start to finish. You know, and and then all the way through the World Series. Yeah, well, 85 was going to be a special year for many reasons. So first of all, you make the opening day roster. You spend the entire season at the big league level for the first time. You're primarily the left-handed reliever that mm-hmm. year, but then you did make a start the last day of the regular season as well. Before we talk about the World Series, I mean, what made that 85 club so special throughout that whole season? You know, I, I tell you, you know, with the, I mean, it went, it went right down to the end of the year. For us to, to clinch and, and, and uh, you know you know to get into the playoffs and um, you know you had a mixture of youth you had a mixture of, of, of veterans um, you you had the best closer arguably in the game at the time um, you had everybody had a role everybody played a part um, you know Jim Sunberg came over short up to the, the, the catching uh, position you know George was, of course was doing his thing at third. Um, you know, you have, but, 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 but guys, there was here, different heroes every night. Um, you know, Buddy Biancolana played a phenomenal shortstop, you know, uh, you, you had George Orta who, who played a huge part, Greg Pryor, you know, we, we had Charlie Liebrandt, um, you know, who was a veteran, Bud Black, who was a veteran. And then of course you had Goobs and, and Saves who were the young guys that just, just had brought so much energy to the game. Danny Jackson, I mean, it was just a, a, Everybody was a piece of the puzzle, and it was just a perfect puzzle. 
and uh, you know we, we we just we had a lot of fun you know a lot uh, very similar to you know to what the Royals look like right now um, you know everybody got along with each other everybody enjoyed each other's company um, you played for the guy next to you um, you know you you enjoyed playing the game you played hard um, and and you know it was never over until it was over for us. So, so it was a, it was a very exciting year for for me um, to be involved and to be a part or whatever part I played in it, um, just to be around those guys uh, and 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 see the fight and 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 the never never give attitude that these guys had in the clutch performances. Like I said, every night it was somebody different getting it done for us, and you know that's what it takes. Yeah, and, and coming back from down three one twice. I mean, how do you even do that? You know, I mean, it, it's just. You got to go out there and you got to play the game, you know. And and you know you don't look at odds, you don't look at what people are saying, or you know, you know you can't do this, you can't do that. You still got to catch it, hit it, and throw it, you know. And we just we just happen to do that, you know. And everybody talks about the Dankager thing, and you know there was there was plenty of other chances for them to close that game off besides that play, you know. So you know, I it, it's a call that went our way, and in in you know regular speed time, it's a bang bang play. You slow it down, and everybody can be a, an armchair coach and you know official and say, "Wow, he, he blew the heck out of that call." Well, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is, you know. And there's a lot of things that didn't go our way in that series, also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, you know, we just we just kept going, man. And you just keep moving forward and look to the next guy and look to the next out and look to the next at bat and look to the next play and and you know, you just got to have a positive attitude. You you want to win. It was it was you know. People say, well, you were a team of destiny. Well, maybe so, maybe a little bit. But, uh, you know, we had to do some things right to, to get to where we got, and, and we just happened to take advantage of it. Talking about things not going you guys' way, I'm, I'm actually re-watching the 85 World Series the last <laughs> few nights. I watched game two last night, the heartbreaker with Lee Brand in the ninth inning. But, I mean, you mentioned that. I mean, there was a, a clear play where Buddy Biancolana scored the third run safely yeah. in, the, in the seventh <laughs> inning, and they called him out. That could have changed yeah. the whole game, so. Well, yeah. So you know, I mean, and they all even out to some extent. Some are some are more, more. Uh, uh, I want to say exploited or, 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 you know, brought brought to life a little bit more than others. But you know, if you, if you look throughout that series, there's plays throughout every one of those games that that could have changed the tone of the game if it could have gone one way or the other. Yeah, that game too was tough even to watch again. Now man. it was Charlie. Charlie just was so masterful. I mean, just phenomenal. Yeah couple bloopers in that one too so yeah yeah you know and and, and you know it's it, it, it's a game of inches you know i mean ball just out of your glove ball drops in front of you ball hits you know on the inside of the chalk line you know i mean they could have gone on the outside or could have landed in your glove or you know you could have dove and made a play uh, pitch two inches off the plate could be a strike could be a ball you know so it's just you just got to go out and play the game the other thing that sticks out about this, I mean, I, I'm only 34, so I saw George play at the end of his career more at first base, and I've seen this, you know, 70s games, and but I can't believe how, I mean, he's like plus plus defensively by 85. I can't believe how good he was defensively at, at third base. He worked hard at that. He did. George George worked extremely hard, took a lot of ground balls. You know, it didn't, it didn't hurt that playing on turf, but I mean, he made him on grass also. I mean, George, George is just a gamer, you know. George yeah. played the game hard. But the game, you know, he was old school uh, as far as that was concerned. He went out there, man, you know, didn't wear no gloves, uh, you know, at the plate and, um, you know, had the mid-high socks and, and just just played the game hard. I mean, worked at the game, you know, 
phenomenal hand-eye coordination, of course, you know, exceptional hitter, of course, you know. He'll never be another George Brett. But, you know, defensively, you know, he, gr- he grinded out every day, you know, and, and that's what it took. I mean, because if, if any part of George's game was, was uh, you know, tougher for him, it was probably the defense. I mean, George was a great base runner, too. Yeah. You know, didn't have exceptional speed, but ran the bases very well. Was very instinctive, but uh, worked really hard on his defense. Really yeah. did. Glad he got that Gold Glove as yeah. well. So one yeah. one other question about '85. Then you know, how okay. special is it? You know, getting that World Series ring. What do you remember about the dog pile? And then you know, how special is it for you today? Even thinking back to that. Well, I mean, the dog pile was phenomenal. I, I, I it moved as I jumped in the air and I went over the top of it and landed <laughs> on the ground. Uh-oh. Uh oh. And if you look at the cover of Sports Illustrated, you'll see this one guy getting up, um, and that's me. <laughs> uh, so I remember the it moving as I jumped over the top of it, and uh, you know I guess my claim to fame is everybody gets to sign my, their name right on my butt. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know great. it was uh, what an unbelievable feeling. You know that's why you play the game. You know at least for me, and I'm sure. Most other players would say that, you know, yeah, Hall of Fame, Cy Young, you know, uh, you know, Rookie of the Year, all that stuff. Those are great personal accolades. But, you know, you play the game to, to, to be the best there is on that given year. And, and you know, in 1985, Kansas City Royals were. And, and, and it's probably the most gratifying moment professionally for me was to be a part of that team and, and, and to watch, watch us battle from, you know, the first the first day of spring training till the the final out of the World Series. Uh, it was just a, really a privilege and an honor to be a part of that. 1986, you come to spring training, uh, but you're one of the very last cuts that year. So, I mean, how difficult was that day? What did they tell you? What do you remember about that you know day? Uh, I was at Pirate City. Um, I felt like I probably came into spring training that year in the best shape I'd ever been in. Um, really wanted to try and, and, and be a bigger part of uh, you know, the Royals' uh, uh, future and uh, their organization. Um, probably didn't, probably didn't hurt my, uh, help myself much because I had, I had had a chance to go to winter ball right after we had won the World Series. Uh, Daryl Motley and I were going to winter ball, and the Royals wanted me to experiment with a knuckleball. Uh, so I had gone down and played in Venezuela and got there and, you know, just won the World Series with sky high. And, 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 and Daryl and I were both there, and we were roommates, and uh, have a, had a pretty good knuckleball. You know, really felt like uh, it, was, it was a pitch that, you know, uh, I could develop and, and, and could help me stay in the big leagues. Um, and actually used that pitch later on in my career, you know, almost exclusively with, with a couple different teams. But uh, made a huge mistake and uh, uh, opted out of winter ball when I was down there and, and, and just – Bad mindset, bad decision on my part. Um, probably um, started the ball rolling for the Royals and Mike Jones to go in a different direction. Um, so came back after a couple weeks, didn't even pitch a game in winter ball. Um, who knows how it would have turned out if I would have stayed down there and threw the knuckleball and been and done well. But it, it is what it is. Uh, came back, went to spring training, worked extremely hard when I got back in town, uh, stayed in Georgia. Uh, down south, and uh, Cindy and I had a place there, and uh, worked extremely hard. Came to spring training, felt like I had a pretty good spring training. You know, r- really one of the better spring spring trainings I'd ever had. You know, through 11, 12, 13, 14 innings, something like that. Uh, hits were well below, um, walks were down, uh, runs were down, um, strikeouts were up. Uh, still wasn't, you know, a 90 plus guy like like I should have been just from the accident. You know, it was probably. 
86 to 88, um, you know, which, which is a pretty good hitting speed, um, you know, if you, if you don't have movement and location and, and secondary pitches. Uh, was in Pirate City. Uh, I, I, I think I ended up throwing two or three innings, um, finished my stint, was out in the outfield running. Gary Blaylock uh, called me over and said, hey, uh, uh, Skip needs to talk to you. And uh, we went in the locker room in uh, Pirate City, and uh, John Sherholtz was in there, Dick was in there, and uh, Gary was in there, and they said they had tried to showcase me to the uh, to the Pirates. They had opted not to, you know, to, to, to pick me up or, or, or felt like that they wanted to go in a different direction and uh, said they were going to release me. And, uh, you know, at that point in time when teams are cutting down rosters, it's pretty tough to hook on with a team because there was maybe a week left in spring training. Yeah you know, when that happened. So I'm out of a job and, uh, you know, kind of didn't know what to, what, what to do at that time, called my agent and said, hey, you know, the Royals just released me. Um, was was pretty was shocked, really, but, you know, um, could see that, that, that they, you know, the way things had set up in spring training, that, you know, they were going to kind of go in a different direction. Um, so, you know, we parted ways. Yeah. Well, you, you spent 86 then between Richmond and Greenville with the Braves. I wanted to ask you, one of your teammates, if you remember him at all, is Royals manager Ned Yost. Yes, yes. No question about it. Ned was catching at the time. And, um, you know, you could always tell that Ned, if he wasn't going to play in the big leagues, was going to be in the big leagues at some time. What a great mind. Um, you know, you, you, see, you see so many catchers that – that manage at, at high levels. They just know the game so well. They understand the game. And, and, and Ned was one of those guys who was going to be a student of the game. He was kind of a journeyman to some extent, um, you know, bounced up and down between AA, AAA, and the big leagues. And, and, and then, of course, you know, started his, manage, you know, his coaching career. Um, but, yeah, Ned, what a great man. I'll tell you what, he's done a phenomenal job with the Royals. Right guy for the job. Absolutely. 87, you're with Montreal in the minor leagues. 88 with Cincinnati. 89 to 90 with Baltimore. So I guess, did you ever feel between 87 and 90 like you were you know, close to another big league chance? Did you ever think it was going to happen again, or did you kind of know at that point it was pretty much done? No, no, I, I did, actually. Um, you know, 86 with the Braves, uh, you know, I, I had two options. I was either going to sign with Atlanta or I was going to sign with the Orioles. Um, ended up signing with Atlanta. Uh, Bobby Cox, of course, was in Atlanta at the time. He had seen me from Toronto, so I felt like him having a chance to see me throw at the major league level gave me a better opportunity to possibly get back to the big leagues at some point in time in '86. Um, you know, started out five and zero, but just didn't pitch well. I mean, you know, we were scoring eight, nine, ten runs a game, and didn't, and, and you know, I was not pitching well. Um, they made maybe three or four pitching changes that entire year. Um, Got to play with a guy named Tommy Glavin, oh, yeah. uh, which was, which was uh, you know, Tommy, of course, was just out of high school and, and, you know, tremendous hockey player and was, you know, a buck 50 soaking wet. And, but you could tell right then and there this kid was going to have a chance to do great things. Um, but opted not to play in Rochester, which would have been uh, uh, my other option with the Orioles. I just didn't want to come into my hometown and have all those distractions of, you know, not so much family, but all my friends and, and stuff. And I, I really wanted to see how quick I could possibly get back to the big leagues. Well, they had probably 25 roster changes on the pitching mound that, that year. Hmm. So, you know, hindsight's, uh, you know, of course, we all know what the answer to that is. Um, but 87 is when uh, I was with the Expos, experimented with my knuckleball, uh, actually sent me down 
you know, to A ball to work on it in 87 and perfected it, pitched, pitched quite well in uh, 87 with the Expos. Uh, we actually won the, the AAA uh, World Series that year in, in, Montreal, uh, in, in Indianapolis. But 88 was the year when I was with the Reds that I felt like, uh, you know, I had a pretty solid year with them. Uh, I had a chance to play with uh, the Nasty Boys in AAA, uh, Norm Charlton and uh, Rob Dibble. Yeah. Um, Joe Oliver was on that team. Uh, but I think I was uh, five or four, five and one, had an ERA in the high twos, and really thought I was going to get called up to the big leagues uh, in 88. I really, really did. I thought that was going to be my opportunity back. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen. I uh, was very disappointed. And after that, just kind of went through the motions and, and, and had to make a decision on do I want to be a AAA roster filler? And you know, help help players. Do I want to get into coaching, or do I just want to get on with my life? And I felt like I needed to get on with my life. Uh, you know, had kids at the time, wanted to stabilize, uh, you know, their childhood and have a place to really call home, and you know, get into the into the regular the regular world. So you know, not shortly after shortly after is when you know I, I finally retired. Well, last four questions for you, and thanks for all your time. Uh, sure. This one's kind of a shot in the dark. I know a guy tragically we lost that was living in Jacksonville that played for the Royals. Did you ever get to know Ryan Friel at all by any chance or not? I did. I did. Uh, you know, Ryan had started uh, uh, doing some, some amateur uh, youth uh, baseball stuff here uh, out at the beach and had a chance to meet with him. It was actually at uh, um, Sun Stadium when they honored him, uh, him and his family. Uh, you know, it just just tragic, tragic, tragic. What well, he had so much to offer. Um, you know, knew the game of baseball was was in the right venue. Uh, after uh, you know, was able to use the platform he was on to help young 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 athletes. Uh, so it was very tragic and a sad time. Getting back to Kansas City, then. So as a city, you know, what did you like best about Kansas City and favorite barbecue while you were here? Oh, uh, was it? What is that place, Gates? Oh yeah, good call. That's my favorite too. Yeah. Gates Barbecue. Um, you know, I lived in Overland Park, so back then, Overland Park, you know, you could get on I-70 there and run across the the state line, and you're in Overland Park, and to get to Kansas City, back to the Royal Stadium in, you know, five, ten minutes, you know. Now, Overland Park is, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's huge. Yeah. Uh, loved, I loved how Kansas City, you know, I love downtown. Um, you know, but, but it was, you know, you could leave Kansas City and go 20 miles and, 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 and you know, you could be in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. in all directions. Um, and I love that wide open space area. I love the, the setup of Chief Stadium and Royal Stadium being right next to each other. Um, you know, just, just such a friendly town. I mean, I love the Lancers back in the day. Um, you know, they were, they were great to us. The fans were great. I mean, just, just. What a, what a, what a, what a first class organization, you know, I mean, just, just loved everything about it. Loved the stadium, you know, the big, the big crown and center field and the waterfalls and, you know, all, 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 the, all that stuff is just, you know, just very, very fond memories of Kansas city. Who are uh, some of your teammates that you still keep in touch with from the Royals organization, both from the minor league days up to the major league days? Well, it's kind of funny that, uh, you talk about that. You know the uh, the historical society had a uh, a gala and a dinner for the '85 Royals uh, about a month ago, and I think there was about 19 or 20 of us that showed up um, that were able to make it, um, and it was in Kansas City. So I flew into Kansas City, and 
you know, it, it, it was just a phenomenal uh, affair. You know, I, I hadn't seen guys in 30 years, but it was like I had just left the locker room with them yesterday. You know, Hal McRae was there. Pat Sheridan was there. Buddy Biancolano was there. Uh, Greg Pryor, uh, Charlie Liebrandt, uh, Brett Saberhagen, um, Steve Farr. Uh, Willie Wilson was there. UL Washington was there. Uh, Jim Sundberg was there. You know, I could I could go on the list. You know, and they had a big dinner for us, and uh, um, you know, we had a chance to spend. Uh, I guess we stayed. What's what's the big hotel? Harris there. Yep, casino. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. We had a, we had we had a day to to get in and out, and uh, you know, had a golf tournament uh, prior to it, which was uh, it was uh, the old Negro League uh, affiliate that put it on. Uh, but the, but the, I just want to say hats off to the Kansas City Historical Society for doing that for us. It was phenomenal. Um, you know, had a chance to see all those guys and re- and rekindle some some relationships uh, with with all of them. You know, and and we all vowed not to be so far out of contact with each other. And and you know, of course, I think the wives keep in contact much more than the, than the players do. Of course, I don't know whether it's <laughs> the the guy thing with us or, or what it is. But you know, you get so busy in your own life, you kind of. You kind of let things and relationships fall behind the way, beside the wayside. But uh, um, you know, my wife has been in contact with with with, with all a lot of the wives uh, and never stopped since uh, you know since '85. Was that your first time back here since '85? Uh, yeah. Wow. So yeah. that was. An... I actually went to a convention in Kansas City uh, in '84. I mean, excuse me, in, in 2014. Uh, but yeah, that's the first time I haven't. I have not been back in the stadium uh, since uh, since '85. Oh, you didn't go in when you were back either. Did not. Oh, you have to get back Did in not. and see you the know, changes. I drove I, when I was there for for a convention. Um, we actually they were doing all the renovation outside and they had all the fences up. They were giving it a facelift. Um, was that was that '14 or 2013? Uh, well, the renovations got done in '09, but they could have been doing something else. Yeah, I mean, but I, I drove in between, uh, uh, just happened to, to veer off there at Royal Stadium, saw the crown, and said, hey, let's, let's drive through the parking lot. So, you know, drove through, and uh, that's as close as I've been. Huh. Well, one of these days you'll make it back. Is, is, is the one guy on the 85 team, does anybody know where Onyx Concepcion is anymore? You know, the last I heard, Onyx was, I believe in St. Augustine, Florida. Oh, that really? Yes. Uh, somebody had told me. Um, I want to say my wife got a hold of him on Facebook or something like that. I'm not a big Facebook guy, but my, my, of course my wife is. And uh, the last I heard that he was residing with his family in St. Augustine, Florida. Huh. Okay. That's. And a- he, he was not at the uh, the 30 year reunion. Okay, that's the one guy people seem to not know where he's at, so that's interesting. No, no, no and, I, and, I, and I came up through the minor leagues with Onyx, so I've known Onyx since, you know, the early days. Yeah, good we little played, player. We played almost every level together. Scrappy Heck of a player. shortstop, man. Yeah, yeah. Heck of a player. Yeah, well, very last question for you. You know, in summary, what would you like to say to all the Royals fans listening right now? Congratulations. In, enjoy it. Cherish it. You deserve it. It's been a long time coming. Uh, you have, you've got a tremendous baseball club. Um, those guys are very passionate about, about each other, about the game of baseball, about the city of Kansas City. Um, the nucleus that they have is, 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 gives them an opportunity to be at the top for a long time. Um, they are similar to, you know, our team in, uh, uh, in 85, you know, 
you, you hear everybody talk about how they put the ball in play. You know, they do what it takes to get it done. They pass it on to the next guy. They play for the guy next to him. That's all true. And, you know, that's not a common occurrence in, in Major League Sports today, to have a team like that and, uh, you know, cherish those memories uh, because you see how hard and how long it could be to get back there and do it again. But you definitely deserve it, and, and, and I couldn't be happier for you. Yeah, thanks so much for all your time and, uh, you know, for all the memories and, and all the stories. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of, you know, fun talking with you, and hopefully we'll see you back out here one of these days. Go Royals, and, and you know, continued success to you and, and that great city of Jacksonville. Thank you. Appreciate it.